So, anything in particular you'd like to talk about uh, for my last sermon, my farewell sermon at Southridge? Uh, anything that might interest you? Um, it's been a weird thing to think about, I have to be honest, uh, to think about what I would preach upon for a farewell sermon at a church that has been the only home church that I've had for 43 years of my life. Many you don't know. I was here as a six-year-old at Southridge on the very first Sunday that we opened the doors in 1980. Back then it was called Fairview Louth Mennonite Brethren Community Church, Flimbukuka, as we called it then. Um, and this has been my home church for 43 years. Maybe you don't know, this has been the only job I have held in my entire adult life. I took this job on September 1st, 1997, four months after graduating from university, and this is it. This is the only job I've ever had. In fact, yesterday was my 9,000th day on the job at Southridge Community Church. And I've kind of been thinking about what do you say at the end of all of that? What do you say? What words do you say to give meaning or to draw the meaning out of all of that? In some ways, it feels very much like I'm preaching my own funeral sermon that you all get to now watch by, by video. And you know what? There's something actually fitting about that. It's not my funeral. I'm not going anywhere. You know, I'm not moving out of the area or whatever. But... Um, there's a verse in Ecclesiastes that says it's better to go to a funeral home than a birthday party because when you live in a space where you intentionally think about loss and grief, it brings perspective and wisdom. And I think that's what I've been thinking about the most lately. And so as I've been asking myself, what would I preach on for my last sermon at Southridge? My mind the last couple of months has just kept going back to Ecclesiastes chapter three. And I'm going to read this poem for you. It's not going to be on the screen. I just want you to sit, listen, close your eyes if you want to just take in the words. But this is what it says in Ecclesiastes chapter three, starting in verse one. There's a season for everything and a time for every matter under the heavens, a time for giving birth and a time for dying. A time for planting and a time for uprooting what was planted. A time for killing and a time for healing. A time for tearing down and a time for building up. A time for crying and a time for laughing. A time for mourning and a time for dancing. A time for throwing stones and a time for gathering stones. A time for embracing and a time for avoiding embraces. A time for searching and a time for losing. A time for keeping and a time for throwing away. A time for tearing and a time for repairing, a time for keeping silent and a time for speaking, a time for loving and a time for hating, a time for war and a time for peace. I've been thinking about this poem, I think, because of its main point, which is actually brought out right in the very first verse of the chapter. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1, it says, there is a season for everything and a time for every matter under the heavens. In other words, as you go through life, as I go through life, as we do this journey, we are going to experience everything, all kinds of things. In fact, in my last sermon, I, you'll give me permission to dig into the poetry of this for just a minute. It's interesting that after that thesis statement, there are actually 14 pairs of opposites in the poem. 
which is kind of a significant number. We've talked about before how in the Hebrew Bible in particular, numbers can often be symbolic. And the numbers seven and multiples of seven are often symbolic of completeness. It goes back to the creation story. When God does something in the world, God does it in seven and it's complete, right? The seven days of the week. And so the fact that there are 14 pairs, seven, the number of completeness times two, which could be thought of as fullness, that in the course of our life, we're just going to experience the full completeness of all of the experiences that there are to be had in the world. In fact, each one of these pairs, there's 14 pairs, so there's 28 items. You can kind of keep doing numbers. Seven for completeness times four. The number four is often symbolic of something being universal. The four corners of the globe, the four points of the compass, that everyone everywhere, just by virtue of living life, is going to experience a time for everything. These pairs, even deeper, are called merisms. And a merism is when you talk about something by only referring to the two extremes, right? We cleaned our house from stem to stern. Now, my house doesn't have a stem and it doesn't have a stern, but what it means is not just here and here, but we cleaned everything in between. The groom was handsome from head to toe. We're not saying he had a nice haircut and great shoes. We're saying like every part of him from this end to that end, every part of it, was handsome. Like that's how this works. It's not a time to be born and a time to die. There's a time for everything that happens in between. That's how the poem works. It's a way of just kind of naming honestly that life is going to be filled with a bit of everything. When you think about these pairs, in every pairing, one is positive a time to be born, something you'd like to experience, or a time to give birth in this translation. And the other is negative, something you don't want to experience, a time to die. And it happens over and over again, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up. There's always a negative and a positive. And if, if you'll permit me to quote the lyrics of a TV theme song from when this church was planted in 1980 that I watched as a kid, you take the good, you take the bad, you take them both, and there you have the facts of life. That's just what life is. It is, a, it is just the experience of opening yourself to experiencing a bit of everything, the good and the bad and the ugly. It's interesting when you look at the pairs that it's not always that the positive comes first and then the negative. It goes the back and forth. The first two pairs are positive and then negative. The next five are negative then positive. Then it flip-flops, and then the poem ends with positive, negative, negative, positive. It's, it's like, you know, the philosopher Forrest Gump who says, life's like a box of chocolates. You just don't know what you're going to get. You're not in control. And this is the point of the poem, that what it means to live life is it means to be open to experiencing whatever it is that life brings. And over the course of life, it's going to bring a bit of all of it. And some of it will be positive and some of it will be negative and none of it will be in our control. And the point of the poem is this, that wisdom, because Ecclesiastes is a book of wisdom. Wisdom is about responding rightly to what life brings, when life brings all of it. I've been thinking about this poem a lot because for 
me and my family, for you and your family, the last couple of years have been a time to endure. It's been a global pandemic to endure. And, and I and our family, we didn't have all the experiences that you and your family had, all the struggles and challenges that you faced. But we faced the pandemic as both a frontline healthcare family and a frontline ministry family. And we experienced all the struggle and the challenge and even the trauma that's associated with enduring the pandemic in those terms. For us, for me, and for my family, in addition to that, the last couple of years has been a time to endure struggles and challenges and even traumas that have nothing to do with the pandemic. And, and I know that for a lot of you, that's, this is the most interesting part of the story, right? This is from the reaction we've gotten over the last couple of weeks since I announced my resignation. This is you know, kind of been an undercurrent and the conversation has been what's really happened, right? That's what people want to know. A friend of mine from the St. Catharines location who I love dearly wrote and said, I actually, I want to know what really happened because I'm nosy, but also because I care. And I, and I know that that's the undercurrent. Um, and we've already heard a lot of stories about what really happened. I've heard about my health. I've heard that we're leaving because of my wife's health. Uh, I learned that we're moving, apparently, to Calgary. Uh, somebody said that our, my family's moving to Manitoba, a story that should have been obviously false right on its face because who moves to Manitoba, right? I've heard that I got fired for something that I said from the stage, which at least that story has the virtue of believability. I mean, Vegas odds were on. My time at Southridge was going to end because I said something stupid from the stage. But the point is, I'm already hearing all sorts of stories. And you know what? There, it's just rumors. It's just gossip. None of it's true. And none of it deserves any of us to pay any attention to it and certainly not to pass it around. The point is, over the last couple of years, my family and I have experienced the time to endure our own struggles and challenges. And we've experienced the last couple of years as a time to reflect. Where we've unplugged and disconnected and stepped back from all of the things that have contributed to the busyness that just keeps life moving in this forward direction without actually thinking about it. And we've taken the last couple of years to step back and to think about who we are and who we're becoming and who our family is and what our family needs. And in the midst of this time to endure and this time to reflect, we decided that it was time for a change. At the end of the day, that's it. It wasn't an easy decision. Obviously, this has been my home church for 43 years. I was baptized here uh, by a man who still attends here, whom I dearly love, Reverend John Eckert. I was married here. Uh, I buried my mom here buried my son here, baptized a couple of my girls here. I made friends here. This was my community. This has been my family. I mean, this has been the core of my life for the last 43 years. It, it's been hard to think about leaving because of everything that God has done here. When I started on September 1st, 1997, we were 156 people meeting in one location, in one service, in a small little country church west of St. Catharines. And I had no idea the ride that we were about to take. And I had no idea how it was going to transform me as a human being. I had no idea 24 and a half years ago about 
compassion and justice for friends who have experienced life in the streets or for migrant farm workers or for people who experience food insecurity. I had no idea what it would mean to love LGBTQ plus people in a way that makes them feel loved. I had no idea what it looked like to make space in my life for the perspectives and views of black and indigenous and people of color. I had no idea back then that following Jesus was simply about opening yourself up to receiving the love of God and then living that love in and into the world. I, I am a different person because of the last 24 years. And it's been hard to decide that now is the time for a change, but it is. And since coming to that decision earlier this year, it has only been confirmed time and time again that this is the right decision at the right time. And even confirmed by many of you in your thoughts and notes, I, I had somebody say to me probably three or four years ago, I feel like you're leaving us. And I didn't know what that meant at the time. And I announced my resignation. They emailed back and said, that feeling never left me. Um, this is the right moment, and it's been confirmed. And part of what makes it hard is that it's hard to understand why in some ways. In Ecclesiastes 11, three, chapter 3, verse 11, this is after the poem where a lot of scholars think the writer is unpacking some of the meaning. It says in verse 11, God has placed eternity in their hearts without enabling them to discover what God has done from beginning to end. The writer of Ecclesiastes says, you know, in the poem, part of what makes life hard is that it's just this soup of everything. It's this mixture of experiences of good and bad and ugly, and it's not within our control, and you never know what you're going to get. And, and the only thing you could do is to learn how to respond with wisdom to it. And in verse 11, he says, and part of what makes it hard is that so much of it doesn't make sense. We don't get to get why so much of it is happening. And I'd say that's been true of me and us in this last season in my family. We, we don't get to get why the last couple of years have been the way that we are. We don't get to get why everything has unfolded in the way that, we, that it has. We don't get to get why now is the time for a change, even as we are convinced that it is. And I think some of you are going to have that experience in this whole process too. That you won't, you don't get to get why all of this happening. It just seems to come out of nowhere. And I, and I totally am sympathetic with that experience. For some of you, you have to understand that for Kristen and me, this has been a conversation for a couple of years. Things, something we've been talking about Jeff to Jeff with uh, for a long time. And Something, whether it was right or wrong, we decided to not upset any apple carts until we knew that this was the right thing, which, you know, was earlier this year. I think for some people, you don't get to get why this feels so fast. Um, and I can see that too, how it feels like I'm just vanishing. And, and I need to say, because of the way churches hit headlines these days, I do need to say you will not read any headlines about me in any media environment about some secret sin or some scandal in my life that, you know, was ultimately the cause of my leaving here, or whatever, that's not going to happen. Um, 
The story of my leaving is basically once we came to the conclusion that this, that it was time for a change, um, emotionally, we just knew it was time to make that change, to not delay that. I, I have never quit a job before. Some of you have, and you know what it feels like when you've put in your notice how psychologically and emotionally hard it is to keep showing up and to bring all of yourself after that. And I was finding that to be a challenge for myself. I, somebody said to me, again, after I, we announced my resignation, they said, I, I was kind of feeling some of the energy and passion slipping out of your preaching. Some were feeling that. I was feeling it. And so instead of sticking around and, and lingering and dragging it out and it being harder, you know, to keep showing up for me and my family and for you as a church to keep getting half of my heart and whatever, um, we just decided if it's time for a change, it's time for a change. And even though it's not totally comprehensible to us or to you or whatever, here's my, my favorite part of that verse where it says, God hasn't enabled us to understand what God has done from beginning to end. The thing that encourages me about that verse is even though we don't understand, God is still doing here what God has always done, which is to bring God's kingdom to earth as it is in heaven through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ poured out by God's spirit into the community of people who long to be Jesus-shaped people in their lives. God is still doing and will continue to do what God has always done in this church. In fact, my favorite part of verse 11, I didn't read for you before. My favorite part is the first part where it says, God has made everything fitting in its time. You know I'm not going to preach one last sermon without telling you about a Hebrew word. The word fitting is the Hebrew word yafeh. And yafeh most of the time is just translated as beautiful. Something that is beautiful to behold. Something that is obviously to be admired because of what it is. Sometimes it's translated this way as proper or fitting as being appropriate to your expectations. In other words, whether it's beautiful or fitting, God has made everything the very best version of what that thing is supposed to be right in the time when God is doing it. There is not a season that we experience where God is not at work making it as beautiful in that season as it could possibly be. Which is not to say, by the way, that God brings pain and trauma and suffering in our lives. God is not responsible for that. What it is to say, seven days after we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus, what it is to say is that in every season, regardless of what we're experiencing, God is present to us to make that season beautiful in its time to make it the very best version of what God intended it to be if we're prepared to step into that season, open to the presence of God and ready to respond in the way of Jesus. Because that's what God is doing, even in this season at Southridge right now. I think Southridge's very best days are still ahead of it. Because, and you also knew I couldn't preach one last sermon without quoting Jesus, in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says, I will build my church. 
I will build my church. Jesus doesn't say I might build my church. He doesn't say maybe I'll build my church. He doesn't say I'm going to try to build my church. This is a promise that you can take to the bank. Jesus says that in the midst of all of the uncertainty and all of the different seasons and the good and the bad and the unpredictability and the uncontrollability and the incomprehensibility of life, the one thing that you can count on is that Jesus is going to build his church. Jesus is going to keep building this church, which, by the way, Jesus says is his church. This isn't my Croesus church, as though I had anything to do with who we are now. This isn't Jeff Lockyer's church, as though he's built anything in the last 24 years. This isn't even your church. This is Jesus' church, and it was Jesus' church before September 1st, 1997, and it will continue to be Jesus' church after May 1st, 2022. It'll continue to be Jesus' church after Jeff Lockyer's gone, after the whole leadership structure is gone, after you're even gone. This is Jesus' church, and Jesus only does one thing with his church, and that is Jesus builds it. He makes it beautiful in its time. He makes it the very best version of the thing that he always dreamed and imagine it could be if, if from top to bottom, one more merism, from top to bottom, we as individuals and as a community are committed to opening ourselves up to God's loving presence in our midst. And we are opening ourselves up to be transformed by the Holy Spirit to respond in a Jesus-shaped way where we receive the love that God has poured out for us by his Spirit through Jesus. And then we live that love in and into the world. That love for God, that love for ourselves, that love for each other that love for the forgotten and ignored, the love for the traumatized and painful and downtrodden, love for society and the world and even our enemies and the planet, that if we will open ourselves up to receiving the love that God has poured out in Jesus and open ourselves up to stepping into a Jesus-shaped response, then Jesus will continue to build his church, this church, and make it into the most beautiful version of what God always imagined that Southridge could be. And friends, I can't wait to hear the stories of what God does from here forward. I love you all. I really do. I'm going to miss you all. I'm not leaving because of any of you. In fact, it's all of you that have made this the hardest decision that I think I've ever had to make in my life. But Jesus will build his church. And God will make this church, God will continue to make this church beautiful in its time. And people will tell the stories of the ways they have encountered God in Christ by the Spirit because of what God has done among all of you. And I can't wait to hear the stories. Let me pray for you all. And I'm going to pray a Jesus prayer for our church. Our Father, who is in heaven, 
and sovereign over everything. Hallowed be your name. Would your name and your fame be obvious in this church and throughout the world because of your love? May your kingdom continue to come and may your will be increasingly done on earth in this community just as it is in heaven. Would you give us today our daily bread, everything that we need to be your people from beginning to end? Would you forgive us for all the ways that we've chosen unlove, even as we forgive all of the times that others have been unloving towards us? Would you keep us from the temptation to choose anything but love and spare us from the trials of the evil one because yours is the kingdom and yours is the power and yours is the glory today and forever and ever. Amen.